Nicola David at the moment. Uh, and you'll remember that uh, in the Tabernacle of David, uh, which referred to, um, we'll just quickly refresh your memory, it's referred to in Acts chapter 15. And in Acts 15, we find these words in verse 16. Um, or let's take in verse um, 12. Then all the multitude kept silence and gave audience to Barnabas and Paul, declaring what miracles and wonders God had wrought among the Gentiles by them. And after they had held their peace, James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And to this agree the words of the prophets, as it is written, after this I will return and build again the tabernacle of David which is fallen down and I will build again the ruins thereof and I will set it up that residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called saith the Lord who doeth all these things. And you see that here referred to as the tabernacle of David not the tabernacle of Moses as we discussed last week if you can remember that far back and um, it's a very different thing the tabernacle of David and this is talking about Corneli the visitation of Cornelius's household where God poured out his spirit and you remember we went through and saw how they were devout men who were seeking God had visions of angels and um, fasted and prayed and God said go and send for Peter they sent for Peter and then Peter preached and the Holy Ghost fell on them now James and refers to this incident as the restoration of the tabernacle of David and so we're beginning to see that revival is referred to as a restoration of the tabernacle of David and we went back and we looked where we'll find it in 2 Samuel, as you remember. And uh, we went through and saw the principles that God taught. Firstly, that David, when he um, dealt with the Philistines, which is representative of the flesh um, and satanic powers, how that um, he dealt with them first one way God said fight them this way and the second time God said now go around the back and set ambushments and so there were two different same battles same place two different methods of fighting and God wants us to know how to function and flow in the spirit according to the way that he desires and we need to hear from God directly each time we come to an encounter we need to know from God exactly how he wants us to move. Okay, you all remember that, do you?
Now you are just praised everything that went before. So those who haven't heard what went before will not be totally lost. Okay, and we'll go on with 2 Samuel, chapter 6. Second book of Samuel. Find it after the first book. And you'll remember that uh, David uh, gathered out the chosen men of Israel and the captains of the thousands um, and he took 30,000 men with him and in chapter 6 verse 1 he gathered together all the men of Israel 30,000 and David arose and went with all the people uh, with him and uh, verse 3 they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah. And Uzra and Ahio, um, the sons of Ab Ab Abinadab, drave the new cart. Now you'll remember that they were Levites. And they boarded out the house of Abinadab, that was at Gibeah, according to the uh, accompanying the ark of God. Um, and Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments, made of firwood, even of harps, on psalteries, on timbrels, on cornets, and on cymbals. And there was great rejoicing, and they all played. Now you remember that the ark of the covenant represented the presence of God in the midst of the people. And finally, after all these years, they're bringing back the ark of God into the midst of the people. And David's doing a wonderful thing. And everyone rejoices. Of course, you'll remember that uh, he's doing it by the Philistines' method. Um, because the ark of God shouldn't be on a new cart. But there it is. And when they came... To Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error, and there he died by the ark of God. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah, and he called the name of the place Perez-Uzzah, to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How shall the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David, but carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. 
I just want to stop there and basically that's what we're going to study tonight. Um, I think that to many people it's a mystery when you read the scriptures and you find that some guy just puts his hand out and bang, he's gone. And you think, well, that was pretty rough. And uh, it's quite a terrifying thing to think that a man will just be smitten by God and die. And um, people don't understand that there are principles in God and you violate those principles at your peril. We're dealing with the Lord of glory. We're dealing with the King of kings. And there's certain things that anyone in the world can get away with. There are things that people can be so careless about, but you let a child of God go that way, and bang, that's it. It seems that God's ways aren't equal. And Paul writes about that. He says, you know, who are you to accuse God? To say the ways of God aren't equal. Well, they are. But we have to look into it a little deeper than just what's on the surface to understand why God did what he did. I mean, I want to know, don't you? If I'm about to get zapped by God, I want to know why someone gets finished like that and I want to know how to avoid it, don't you? I mean, that would be just... It's rather like electricity, you know? It's a very good servant. I mean, when you turn the light on, you get light and it banishes darkness and you can see. And it's fine as long as it runs down the wires and into the light bulb. But if at some point you're unfortunate enough to put your finger somewhere where there's live current running, instead of running down the wire into the light bulb, it runs up your left arm into your shoulder, you will find that it's not such a good friend. I remember, you know, my wife's usually helpful. Turn the light on once as I was trying to put a light bulb in and my finger was uh, just where it shouldn't have been at that time. I was just trying to get the light bulb up this light shade and bam. And I want to tell you that 240 volts down your right arm's painful. The light bulb descended at a rate of knots and so did I. <laughs> um, now, you see power harnessed correctly and used in the right way, no problem. But begin to abuse that power and you've got something that you can't control. Now there's a thing about electricity that we all need to understand and that is that it works by principles. In other words, electricity is fine as long as you adhere to the principles. I know that if you put the positive and negative together, it goes bang. Now, I know that because I've tried it. And I know, too, that you can blow fuses and if you cross wires, you're going to get trouble. And um, I know that uh, for safety reasons, they put fuses in. I know, too, that there are, um, current can jump and arc across things 
I know that it's dangerous to mess about with electricity. But I also know that it's very useful. In my home, it runs the fridge. It's nice to know that my toast will be made in the morning by an electric toaster. The cooker works by it. The clock works by it. There are a lot of things that harness that power and use it. But you see, in order to use that electricity, I need to know the principles by which it operates. And those principles are really important because if you violate them, you've got problems. It's true, isn't it? As long as you uh, are sensible, um, electricity is great. There's nothing dangerous about it. Um, there's nothing that is harmful and yet it can kill. You know, it's the same thing with water. Water's fine. And there's nothing wrong with having a bath every morning. In fact, it's very commendable. Uh, at least for the people who have to work around you. Um, there's nothing wrong with water at all, but... Uh, there are principles. If you go into 15 foot of water and you can't swim, you'll learn there are principles. One is you won't float on the top of it. You'll go down plonk. And there's nothing wrong with water. You've got to drink it. You need to drink water. In fact, a man who doesn't drink water in three days goes without water for three days. After that, it begins to dehydrate. Unless he's a camel. And... Um, it'll begin to dehydrate and you've got problems. Now you can go without food for 40 days but water you can't. And the reason is most of your body's made up of water. Why when some people call you a wet it's true. Uh, at least for about 92%. Uh, and you see you have to realise that um, okay water's fine but there's something wrong when you get in, in the way, say, of a dam that's broken. You know, it's been harnessed, the water's been harnessed, producing electricity, going down turbines. That's wonderful. But if the dam breaks and the whole lot bursts, and all that power comes over, you've got problems, even if you can swim. And there are people who have been swept away with tidal waves. Seas fine. I mean, even King Canute found it had principles. It'll come in, that's it, and it'll go out. And you get the odd tidal wave and you don't want to be standing on the shore minding your own business when it happens, otherwise you might get swept out to sea. But those things operate. There's also uh, a very pleasant thing called the sun. Now it's up in the sky, now it's fine. But you can go to some countries and sit out in the sun and instead of going brown you're going to get yourself in a lot of problems because the ultraviolet rays will be so powerful it's going to burn your skin. And you're going to get terrible problems. Now, you can go out there for 25 minutes and you can swim them just fine. But abuse that thing and what happens? Terrible problems. 
You see, everything that God has put in creation has principles. Everything. And every power and force that God has set in creation works by principles. Now, abuse them and you have terrible problems. Use them and harness them according to the law that he has set. And you've no problem at all. And the amazing thing is that things do have definite laws of order, don't they? Have you noticed that? I mean, if petrol, for instance, um, didn't ignite when you've got a certain amount of, um, of air and petrol together and you put it in a, in a cylinder and you put a spark to it, it explodes and it'll drive a piston and you, the motor car goes along. Now, that is a principle. But if one lot of petrol that you put in your petrol tank um, would ignite with a, uh, a certain quantity of air and it would only ignite providing the temperature was such and such and the next lot you put in totally different things operated, you wouldn't be able to use your car very frequently, would you? If you suddenly found that electricity, one day you come in and you switch the light on and the light works and the next day you come in and you find that instead of having to switch the light on, you've got to pull the wire out the wall and you've got to push it in something else. Now, and the whole principle of the thing changed. You'd have problems. The next day you came in and you found the only way to get the light bulb to work was to put it in the hand basin underwater. I mean, and the next day you came in and you found... I mean, there'd be disorder and chaos, wouldn't there? But God has set in creation, very definite principles and everything that you see around you works by principles. Now there's the principle of gravity. And it will tell you that if you jump up, you will come down. It also tells you that, um, you know, you aren't going to float up to this ceiling. You're sitting on a chair and the chair isn't going to float away. Why? Because there's gravity. Now if we walked into one room and gravity didn't work, we'd find everything floating around. And we walked into another room and it was working and operating, then we'd find everything was stable. I mean, if we found the world was in chaos like that, sometimes God's laws which he put in creation worked and sometimes they didn't work, you couldn't live. Could you? But we never look at things like that. We, we always assume... Well, I, I suppose our minds just aren't that way. I mean, there's a principle in, in, in Britain, for instance, wherever you go, you should take an umbrella. Um, it seems a principle that it'll try and rain on any day. Uh, now, it's because of the climate. And so you wrap up warm and you put on a vest. But when you go to Israel and you wake up in the morning, you'll find that it's 90-odd degrees. I, I used to laugh at the Americans. There was something I could never understand about Americans. And that was, you know, when they used to have this crisis of, of um, fuel and Carter, Jimmy Carter, got up and said they'd got to turn their air conditioning off uh, or turn it down you see I used to think 
Fancy those weak little soppy people, those Americans. I mean, they are, aren't they? Um, needing air conditioning. I wouldn't use air conditioning. Now, that was fine while I lived in Britain to have that opinion. I mean, anyone could have that opinion. You know, what a silly lot of people needing air conditioning. But when I was over in Dallas and it was 106 degrees, I want to tell you, I was most happy there was air conditioning. And I put it on further than anyone else had got it on. Boy, that, you need air conditioning over there. But you see, it was outside of my experience. And I learned a principle. That it's hot at 106 degrees, and I'm not used to it. You know, my blood hasn't thinned out. Uh, and therefore, when I was there, I, I was just terrible. I felt... Um, it was like walking into a sauna bath that was over hot. And uh, I learned that there was a necessity. Now the people that live in Dallas, they know that you need air conditioning. In fact, I think it was over a thousand of them died in the heat wave. Some of them found their air conditioning broke down in the night because it was overworking and they died. Because the heat was so tremendous. And some of the lunatics went out and sunbathed on the beach and got rushed to hospital and they packed them in ice trying to cool them down. Well, I think at 106 degrees any man with a modicum of intelligence would realise it's not the time to go and get a tan. But there you are. And Well, you know, but there's principles, aren't there? Now, the sun's jolly good as long as you... Don't abuse it. Hmm? Water's fine as long as you don't get in a flood like Noah. Especially, well, not like Noah. I mean, he was all right. He was inside the ark. Um, you don't want to be outside the ark when the flood comes. That's the problem. Uh, you don't want to find that uh, you're one of these people that abuses electricity and finds that somehow you've managed to get yourself with a nasty shock. You don't want to find that you've abused the principles, say, of going in the sun and getting terrible sunstrokes. You can go blind with the sun. You don't want to find that you go up to a mountain and because you stand and you decide to go hunting for bear, you go and shoot a gun right under the snow caps and you get an avalanche on you. I mean... Now, there's a principle. You don't make a loud noise in those valleys when you're down there and there's all that snow piled up because it's likely to come down on top of you. And anyone will tell you that when an avalanche comes, you best either have wings or you're going to get them pretty quick. Um, and, and you realize there's all these principles operating in nature. Now, God set these principles here. And if you turn with me just quickly, keep your finger and your thumb in, in Samuel and turn with me to Romans. It says this, uh, um, 
verse 17 for there in verse one, uh, chapter 1 of verse 17 of chapter 1 of Romans says for therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written the just shall live by faith for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness because that which may be known of God is manifest to them for God hath showed it unto them for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse because that when they knew God they glorified him not as God neither were thankful but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened now it says here that for the invisible things in verse 20 of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made even his eternal power and Godhead now you can understand the power of God and the things in the spirituals you can't see by looking at the things that are made and the things that are in creation a lot of people don't realize that you just look at the principles of God in nature and you will know the secrets of God in the spirit and people don't realize that that's why I've talked about electricity and things okay now everything providing you use it according to the laws that God's laid down becomes a servant to you but try and violate those laws and what happens hmm? you need an ambulance generally speaking you cannot violate those laws because they are principles and God is the same God has set laws and bounds by which you can live and violate them and you violate them at your peril God has said this is so and it's in the spiritual sense and nature tells you so and yet men and women will go against the laws of God and bang now whatever you do that goes against God's word and God's laws I promise you you will receive a reward for it put your finger in a light up there and get someone to turn the light switch on and you will get your just desserts won't you a very nasty shock now if you go and God has laid down principles and said things and you violate them you do it at your peril is that plain? you understand that? now people don't like that you see they like to believe you can violate God's principles and laws and nothing will happen now there is a truth at a time of ignorance God winks at but once you come into a place where you are beginning to know God's laws and God's principles you're on a different ball game I want to tell you that there is no way you see once you come as a child of God and you accept Christ then I'm afraid all his laws apply 
You say, well, I don't want them to apply. No, you might not want them to apply, but they do. His principles just don't vary. There's no shadow of turning in them. That's why when the light switch, when you turn it on, the light goes on. When you turn it off, the light goes off. Why? Because there's power running through that line from a power station. Now, men have learnt how to harness that. But they know that they have to use certain methods and obey certain rules, otherwise they've got problems and the whole system will blow up. Now, in the same way in God's kingdom, there are principles governing our dealings with God and we better make sure that we keep to the rules. And they're simple and straightforward and they're clearly laid down and no one need miss them. And if you do, you will be joining someone like user who died. And that's that. So, we're back in uh, 2 Samuel, chapter 6. I thought I'd share with you an encouraging word tonight after Sunday. I wanted you to see that there's hope. Faith, hope and love, these three. You know, it's, you've got you've to have a, a, a sense of humor in the things of God. I mean, when you're dealing with them, though, you, you can't really you can't really mess around. Uh, and, you know, the time for games is a time when you're a child. When I was a child, I behaved as a child. But when you become a man, you've got to put away childish things. And when you're a child, you speak as a child. And children say the most stupid things, don't they? I mean, they will insist upon the most fatuous things. And that's just a sign of immaturity when someone says they know something and they'll argue about it. And you know the idiots don't know what they're talking about. Why, well, I used to remember a chap a couple of years ago and he would always come out with the most fatuous statements and insist he was right till he spent some time working with Colin. And I mean, then, then you can't get away with it. But um, you've got to learn that, you see, that's just childish immaturity. And you see, we can, we can come to God on those terms. Okay, Lord, you know. Yeah. Now, we've got to grow up. The time for games is over. Isn't that good? Now, you see, there's some benefits with growing up and there are some, what you call, penalties. You see, when I was a youngster, I used to find it very good that um, my father was fairly, I suppose, well off, you'd say, in terms, financial terms, in the sense that whatever I wanted, I could have, within reason. Um, and... Uh, I used to see my father about once a week, if I remember correctly. Otherwise, we were left with a nanny and we had this 
13-bedroom house, and uh, I think it was about three acres of ground with a 10-foot wall all around and an Alsatian guard in it. And we used to have people like Diana Dawes come and stay with us for the weekend, and uh, all film stars and stuff. And uh, my father ran a couple of hotels and ran all the beauty competitions down at Margate. And so I saw what beauty was meant to be. I never found them at that age. You know, I was only five and six at the time. <laughs> and they looked rather painted to me when I was that age. Um, and we used to have the successful ones come and stay in our house over the weekend while they came to show off their wares. And... Um, or what they weren't. But um, the, the thing was, they, you know, I used to live like that and I could go to my father and sometimes and I'd say, I, I want so-and-so and he'd give it to me. Uh, and he'd just give me anything, really, that I wanted. I mean, we had air rifles and I remember at seven we got these bows, they were five-foot bows, you could pull them right back and fire and they had steel-tipped arrows and you could fire them straight through a dustbin. You know, we tried. Uh, we used that as a target till it became perforated and my mother complained that the rubbish wouldn't stay in it. And so as that no longer held any uh, kind of excitement for us, my brother would stand at one end of a lawn and I'd stand at the other and we would pull back the bow and fire at each other and the first one to jump out of the way was chicken. If we hadn't jumped out of the way in time, we would have been dead as well as chicken. <laughs> um, now, we didn't seem to have any awareness of the danger till one day one stuck in my foot. And it was most painful, getting arrows sticking in you. And, um, I, I mean, now that's childish, you know, totally irresponsible. I didn't know it was dangerous. We used to go out and buy rockets and fire them at people. <laughs> and um, seemed a good thing at the time. Uh, and, you know, but I had no sense of the danger of it. Uh, and I, I suppose I was like any child. You know, it was just excitement and adventure. Totally suicidal. We terrorised the neighbourhood. And... <laughs> Fortunately, we, I suppose we had enough money that we got away with it. And we had this Alsatian, and my brother and I would hide in the bushes with this dog between us, and we'd wait for some poor unsuspecting idiot to walk through our gates. And we'd wait, we'd give him about 20 yards down the drive. We had a big drive, and we were hidden in the bushes, and then we'd say, seize him, boy, just like that. And that dog would go like a bullet for them. Now, providing they froze on the spot, they were all right. The dog would run around barking at them. But if they tried to run for it, it'd have their leg. And if they raised up their hand to defend themselves, they'd get bitten in the hand, you see. And so we'd be hiding in these bushes. And it was fascinating to watch the various <laughs> activities of the people who find the challenge of a big Alsatian. <laughs> And we never got found out. And you see the people, it was a private 
place. They had no right to be in there. <laughs> and so when they came and they got bit, well, if they raised their hand to hit a dog, what do they expect? It's guard dog. And if they try to run, well, you know, you have to leave your trousers behind if it's an Alsatian. <laughs> uh, and so that's the way it was, you see. Now, no sense did we have of, um, of responsibility. In fact, I think it would be a very fair statement to say we were fairly irresponsible when we were young. And, you know, we did some things that now I look back and it makes my hair stand on end. I thank God that my son Matthew doesn't know what I used to get up to because I wouldn't want him doing it. Um, but at the time, it seemed a good idea. Uh, and you learn, don't you? And we just used to be able to go and we'd get what we wanted. You see, now with God, it, 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 you know, he's our heavenly father. And sometimes when we're young, he lets us get away with things. And he seems to just bless us and be kind and merciful. And Then as we begin to grow up, you know, we have to take responsibility. When I was young, I never thought about how my father earned the money in order to get the things that I wanted. I just asked him for them and expected them. I mean, he could afford them, so why not? But now I know that I have to work to earn the money. I look back and think, what an awful waste it was. But at the time, it didn't seem too bad. You know, I think back and I don't know how we got away with it. We used to go around people's doors and drop three bangers tied together through the letterbox. But we'd always try and do it where they hadn't enclosed letterbox because it blew it off the back of the door and made a louder bang. Dear, oh dear. Um, and you look back and you think, how on earth did the Lord protect us? Hmm? Now sometimes in our, I suppose, early spiritual life, we can look back and we think, well, I don't know, I did some stupid things. and God let me away with it, really. Suicidal things. Uh, 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 ridiculous, irresponsible things. And God was gracious and loving. I think I told you the story of old um, uh, Eddie James, uh, a lovely uh, brother from uh, America who'd been on heroin and cocaine and got saved in um, uh, Teen Challenge. And he came over and I remember meeting him, he was a mainliner on heroin and cocaine and God met him and totally delivered him and the first time he went home he heard of this person who was <laughs> sick and dying and he went and um, you know, heard in the Bible it said you should anoint them with oil and went and bought a big bottle of cooking oil and turned up at the door and said he's come to pray for this woman and he'd never seen it done so he just pulled the bedclothes back 
opened the oil and began to pour it up and down. Uh, now, it's quite biblical to anoint with oil, but you can do it a little less liberally. And this dying woman was instantly healed by the power of God. But you see, now if Eddie was still doing that, A, he'd probably be broke with the price of oil today, but um, I mean, it's just not the thing you do. Now, but you've got to honour that kind of faith when you're kind of early in your babyhood. God doesn't mind, he seems to honour it. In fact, sometimes we seem to have more faith when we just got saved than after we'd been going 12 months, 2 years, 5 years. I mean, we'd never dare do some of the outrageous things we did in faith, and yet we can look back and say, oh, well, God really honoured that. Look what he did there, look what he did here. Hmm? But we have to grow up and develop. Now there are principles and there are responsibilities and as you grow up, the principles of God become more clear-cut. You could get away with it once, but now you can't. And this is the uh, rather ominous thing as time rumbles on and you get more mature in God. um, God's going to bring restrictions on you. It's called sanctification or being set apart, if you want a biblical term for it. And it means that God is suddenly saying, now you're just about getting dry behind the ears and it's time to stop the games. It's all right, it's not my stomach. Um, It's time to stop the games. You know, we can't, play games. It's time we realise that God has a purpose. It's time we realise that things are coming to a critical stage. The Lord is preparing a people for himself. And you see, as you grow up, restrictions are coming. Now David had all the best intentions in the world. He was going to bring the presence of God back into the midst of the people. And that's a good thing, isn't it? And very often you've gone out with the best intentions in the world. You wanted to share Jesus with people. And you've suddenly find your nose has banged into a brick wall with some considerable force and you wonder what's gone wrong. You go and look in a mirror and you see you're getting two beautiful black eyes appearing in a spiritual sense and you think, well, I don't know. It says go into all the world and preach the gospel. How come that happened? And you find instead of, um, you know, you, you go out to, to barbarians and a serpent comes out of the wood as, as you're collecting firewood, And instead of shaking it off onto the fire, you jump into the fire and the serpent's left (laughs) wandering away quite happy. And you wonder, I don't know what's going on here. In other words, you find the principles of God aren't working on your behalf, they seem to work against you. Have you ever found that? Now, there's reasons for it. You see, everything has reasons. 
it's reasonable when I stand on a table and go to put a light bulb in and my wife kindly turns it on when I've got my finger there. Now, that's generous and helpful to do it after I put the light bulb in. But I found it most ungenerous and unhelpful when she did it before I put it in and my finger was there and I said, oh dear. <laughs> Just depends on the tone of voice you say it in, doesn't it? <laughs> and, and, and we're learning. All of us are learning. Hmm? Now, here is a principle that all of us need to learn. And that, you know, that's just the introduction. Okay? Just wanted to put it in its right setting for you. It all feels set now. Okay, now we'll get down and see what the scripture is actually saying. Uh, and in Second uh, Samuel chapter 6, I hope you kept your thumb there, or your finger. And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor in verse 6, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. Now there's one thing that I want to make plain and that is this. That when you violate the principles of God then God will shake whatever you're doing. And you'll try and steady it by natural means. And that'll be fatal. Now the ark of God, you remember, was never ever meant to be on the back of a car, was it? Remember, let's just keep your thumb there and go to Numbers chapter 4. You remember we flicked there before, Numbers 4. Numbers 4 verse 5. The first thing that happens is this, And when the camp setteth forward, Aaron shall come and his sons, and they shall take down the covering veil and cover the ark of the testimony with it, and shall put thereon the covering of badgers, skins, and shall spread over it a cloth holy of blue, and shall put in the staves thereof. Right, what have they got to do? First of all, they've got to cover the ark. Now that ark was open to the view of the common man. In other words, when it, David had that ark put, if you remember, on the cart with the oxen, he did not cover it with blue, which speaks of grace. And, of course, it was put on uh, an oxen cart. And verse 15, it says, And when Aaron and his sons have made an end of covering the sanctuary and all the vessels of the sanctuary, as the camp is set, Forward, to set forward after that the sons of Kohath shall come to bear it but they shall not touch any holy thing lest they die now they were told and they were warned 7 verse 9 and you remember the wagons were repaired um, 
Verse 6 we'll take. And Moses took the wagons and the oxen and gave them unto the Levites. Two wagons and four oxen he gave unto the sons of Gershon according to their service. And four wagons and eight oxen he gave unto the sons of Merari according to their service. Under the hand of Ithamar, the son of Aaron the priest. But unto the sons of Kohath he gave none, because the service of the sanctuary belongeth unto them, uh, was that they should bear upon their shoulders. Now, you see, they didn't get carts and oxen, because they had the um, job of dealing with the things of the sanctuary, the most holy things, and therefore they weren't allowed to have uh, oxen and carts. So not only was the thing to be covered, but it also was to be carried on the shoulders. Now, this had been spoken to the children of Israel. It had been made plain to the children of Israel. They knew it. And furthermore, every Levite knew it. Because the Jews were brought up, and the Torah, the first five books, the Pentateuch, whatever you want to call it, the first five books of the Bible were their scriptures and they knew the testimony. They read it and they were brought up on it. They knew the story of their deliverance by Moses. They knew all these things. And yet, this man was being a Levite, sat upon the, the uh, cart, and when the cart began to shake out, he put his hand and touched it. Now that Ark of the Covenant should have been covered first of all. Secondly, he knew that God had said if a man touches it, he's dead. Now the amazing thing is that the Philistines touched it and nothing happened. The Philistines put it on an ark, uh, on a cart and with oxen and they sent it back. Do you remember? the time of Philistines. Now, God didn't slay them. In fact, they put things inside it, didn't they? Do you remember? As a peace offering to God. Now, God didn't touch them because they were of the world and they were ignorant of God's ways and they weren't doing anything to spite to God. Yet, Kohath, um, the tribe of Kohath, you see, knew what limitations they were and user knew what limitations God had put on it. Now he was doing it with knowledge. The Philistines were just ignorant. They were just barbarians. They had no clue about the things of God. And so they could touch the ark with impunity. But woe betide a child of Israel who touched the ark, dead. You say, well, God's ways aren't equal. Who said they were? They're righteous. But times of ignorance, God winks at. Now you can't afford, you see, it's fine while you're in the world and while you don't know Jesus Christ and you don't know the scriptures, then you're safe. But the more you get to know what God says and the, his principles, the more dangerous it is. I always remember someone telling me about a missionary who went and uh, he was out, went out to India and this little black boy met him and he noticed him because he was dark-skinned for an Indian. He was very dark, you see. And he was going all around laying hands on the sick and praying for them and God was instantly healing them, as in Mark 
It's Gospel chapter 16. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. And he was doing it, you know, which is something we should all do. And um, he was going around doing this. And it turned out when this missionary got hold of him and conversed with him, that this boy, the only page of the Bible he'd got was this one page with Mark 16 on it. That's all he knew. He'd got to go out and baptize and pray for people. And this missionary was so concerned about it. He thought, this lad, all he's got is bringing people to Jesus in this one page. And so he said to the lad in a most concerned manner, he said, I'm so appalled, he said, that you're going out and preaching and that's all you've got. He said, I must take steps to get your Bible in your own language. The little lad turned around and said, oh, he said, I don't want that. And the missionary said, why not? And he said, well, he said, if I get the whole Bible, I'll be expected to obey it all. He said, it's hard enough just carrying out this page. He <laughs> 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 said, I said, I don't want the responsibility. <laughs> Smart little lad, eh? I wish some of you would just get that page and obey it. <laughs> you see, when we go on and we begin to learn what God's principles are, we have a responsibility to keep them. When we don't know, time of ignorance is fine. Now this guy, he knew that God smote him. And um, it's something we've got to learn. Now you see, David was doing it with all the love of his heart, wasn't he? Bringing back the presence of God to the people. But you read John 14, John's Gospel, chapter 14. Keep your thumb where you are. Your thumb will do a lot of work tonight. Um, John's Gospel, chapter 14. It says this in verse 14. I beg your pardon, I'm in the wrong chapter. John 14 and it's verse 15. If you love me, what do you do? Right. Now, David was absolutely full of the love of God. In fact, he'd got all, all the best people, 30,000 chosen men of Israel, all dancing around the ark, singing and praising God. He was doing it out of the love of his heart. But, you see, God says, if you love me, you're to keep my commandments. You see, my best intentions are no good. If God says something, I've got to do it. Obedience 
is better than sacrifice. Disobedience is as the sin of witchcraft. Now, so often we have the best intentions in the world, but we don't find out God's methods. In other words, we tend to have good intentions of accomplishing things and we go about it our own way. And they would say, well, the end justifies the means. I mean, how many people do you know of who've got wonderful healing ministries who do the most outrageous things? I mean, in America, everything bad's in America. But in America, um, you can go and uh, they've got what's called aids to faith in the meeting. Now, these aids to faith are to help people believe that divine healing is possible. And so what happens at the beginning of the meeting, some chap hobbles up on crutches with plaster on his leg and uh, all sorts, and they pray for him, and he throws the crutches down, and they cut the plaster off, and he starts running around the place. I'm healed, I'm healed. Now, lots of people flock to the platform, get prayed for, and get genuinely healed. First fellow goes to the next town, and he hobbles up to the platform on crutches with plaster on his leg, and goes through the same routine. And they call it, the evangelist will say it's an aid to faith. I would call that deception, wouldn't you? I'd call it plain blasphemy and mockery. Why, there's another man who has the bouncing ball ministry. Gets a rubber ball. And he preaches and then he says, I'll bounce it and it'll bounce once and the first person to catch it's healed. And he bounces it off his platform into the audience and the person catches it. And do you know something? They are. They're healed. Now, I want to assure you, I will never go in for that ministry. I think that's blasphemous. But you see, he's full of good intentions. But that's not according to God's law. I mean, God hates deception. Fancy deceiving a whole crowd of people into believing someone's healed when the man's got nothing wrong with him. And they pay these people to go round on every campaign and do their little acts. I mean, isn't that awful? That is evil. And yet it helps people because other people respond to it and they get healed by the hundreds. And you see, the evangelist would justify it, but look, look at what it accomplished. It raised everyone's level of faith. But you see, what we have to realize, and I think it's very important that we take note of, is that because we love God, and because we have a care to see God's kingdom proclaimed, it doesn't mean we can use any method we want. And because we get blessing, it doesn't mean that the means we use is right. So many people say, well, it must be right because look at the wonderful blessing. means nothing. We have to realize that God has laid down principles and he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments and I must do things God's way and if I don't, I'm in trouble. Now, I might not die naturally, physically, 
but I most certainly will have death spiritually. The men that practice that, they are dead, believe me. They are totally spiritually dead. Yet God, in his graciousness and love, still heals people. Now that's a mystery, isn't it? Because the people that go there to get healed, they're just the Philistines. They don't realize they're messing with the glory of God. And therefore God, you know, he blesses them. And in fact, he removes their diseases from them. And they can touch the ark of God with impunity. But the man that makes a mockery like that, well, he gets spiritual death in his soul. And he'll go to hell. Make no mistake about it, because that is total deception. And you see, the best intentions and the end never is justified if I use the wrong means. Do you understand what I'm saying? I've got to go God's way. Now, God's methods are never spectacular. It's far easier to get an oxen in a cart to carry a heavy ark than it is to tramp with it on your shoulders. In fact, I've got to put some work in if I'm going to carry an ark on my shoulders. Whereas I can sit back and let the oxen do the pulling if I put it on a cart, can't I? God's methods are never spectacular, but they're principles. And I best find out what those principles are and obey them. All right? Hope it's coming home to you what I'm saying. Some of you look as though you've gone to sleep. No? You understand what I'm saying, do you? Okay. Now, we've got to realize that those principles are there and user knew those principles. David knew those principles. Both ignored those principles and went according to man's advice. Remember we looked in 1 Chronicles, where was it, 1 Chronicles 13, last um, meeting, and then we saw that he chose the chief men and he said, I want to bring back the ark of the Lord, and they said, right, you know, and gave David advice about doing it. And so he was going by the advice of men. Now, he didn't need the advice of men, and I don't need the advice of men. What I need to do is find out what God's Word says. Let's take an example. People come to me and they ask me questions, and generally speaking, I will tell them what the Bible says. I won't give advice in the sense of... Um, this or that, I will say, I will find out what they want to know and then I will see how it fits in with God's principles. Because basically, the only thing I can point people to is what the Word of God says. You follow that? And those principles don't vary. But if I contravene those principles, I'm going to get a shock. Okay? So there's user, and um, he ends up dead. And the anger was, uh, of the Lord was kindled against user in verse 7. And God smote him there for his error. 
and that means for his rashness. And there he died by the ark of God. Now, the amazing thing is, user didn't get a second chance, did he? Hmm? He only did it once. God arranged for those oxen to stumble. It wasn't an accident. They were disobeying God and God had laid down principles for them to operate by and they chose to violate those principles and here was a Levite who was right by it and God sent one of the angels to knock one of the legs from under the oxen and it began to stumble, the ark shook and boom, that was it. The Lord arranged it, nothing happens, he's the king of glory, he arranges everything. And for his rashness, God slew him. Now, at the point that God slew him, you'd have think that David would have admitted his fault. Not so. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah. And he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah unto the, to this day. David was displeased. Now, how often have we, in our lives, determined we're going to do something and we seek God's blessing to do it and God doesn't quite agree with us and we find the whole thing goes wrong and we get very angry with God? Why did God let that happen? Hmm? I don't think that should have happened. What did God mean by that? If he loved me, he wouldn't have let that happen. How come this went wrong? Doesn't God know? Doesn't he care? I don't believe God would let that happen. I don't understand this. And time after time, people are complaining against God. And you have to learn something. And that is, that's always the first reaction when God comes with chastisement. Our first reaction is to buck against it. I'm sure when you were a child and you got a thick ear, the first thing you felt was how unjust it was. You knew you were caught, you knew you deserved it, but it was unjust. Hmm? And you get all bitter inside not going to love you anymore. <laughs> Never said that. Uh, and you get all uptight. Some of you younger can remember it. you know. And that, that's natural. It's the human heart. Adam and Eve, when they sinned in the garden, wasn't their fault. Woman you gave me, she did it. Woman said. Serpent, he beguiled me. Always foisting the blame off. David gets angry with God. Here I am with the love of my heart. I'm bringing your presence back to the people and look what you do in front of everyone. Make me look an idiot. You wipe him out. Look at it dead there and here's me in front of the people the king and I I arranged this and then look at them all singing 
They're all looking now. They want to know what I'm going to do and he's dead. It's your fault. He was angry. All right, if that's the way you're going to behave, I'm not bringing your ark up to my city. That's how he got David. Sometimes we, we say, well, God's going to let that happen. Huh, says he loves me, I follow him. I've given my heart, my life to him, and look at the mess I'm in. <laughs> what are you doing up there? Ain't you in charge any longer? Can't you see my problem down here? You know, we... That's man. Hmm? Well, if God really loved me, he wouldn't let that happen. Yeah, I was happy once, nothing ever went wrong, and I've become a Christian, and now look what happens. Lost my false teeth this morning. I mean, it never happened before I became a Christian. Uh, yeah. People get so mad. All right, they're all males, um, but people get so mad, and, and they get mad at God. Have you ever got mad at God? Huh? You know, be honest. Have you ever got mad at God? Yes or no? Yeah, I've got mad at God. We all do, but we have to grow up past that stage. But there is a time where we get mad, and mad as a dingbat, and we say, "Ah, oh, you know." I'm uh, how dare you? I mean, look at me. Uh, uh, and the, the usual thing that's challenged is our pride. Isn't it? That's the thing that's taken the knocking. And can you imagine David? Here he got 30,000 choice men out of Israel. The best of Israel he got with him. And he's there with a tambourine dancing before the ark of God and suddenly, bang! And he looks around and someone's dead. Imagine him, kind of. <laughs> I mean, what do you do with a tambourine when someone's dropped down like that after you've been dancing? Sweat still running down his face into his eyes. I mean, what do you do? Hey, Lord, this isn't a joke. I mean, in front. Now, couldn't you have done it in private? You don't have to make a public exhibition of me, Lord. That's the way it goes. God always chooses to do it in public. That's the trouble. I mean, if no one else knew about it, it wouldn't be too bad. You could live with it. But somehow, when God chastens us, he tends somehow to, to sometimes let it be a bit public. It's nothing worse when you're a kid then you get a clout in front of everyone. <laughs> I mean, it's all right if it's behind closed doors, but in front of everyone else. What a humiliation of it. 
you know, and you curl your bottom lip in an attempt, you're not going to show tears. And, and, and you see, God does these things. Breaks you in public. Rebukes you publicly. And here's King David with 30,000 choice men all round. Looking at him. Well, when I say 30,000, I suppose I should say 29,999 and one court. <laughs> and there they are with all their instruments. I wonder what they did with their instruments at that point. Can you imagine? There they are dancing around, rejoicing and can you imagine the reaction amongst all the people? And they look at David. This was your idea. 29,999 pairs of eyes all looking at him. If he wasn't so pig-headed, we wouldn't have lost him. David, you arranged this, look. And David got a bit annoyed with the law. He said, well, now look what you've let me in for. And he was mad. Now, we all go that way sometimes, don't we? Hmm? We seem to think that God says something and we, like, you know, you read in the scriptures that it says, these signs shall follow them that believe they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover and you hear about some innocent person dying down the road, so you decide it's about time you raise someone from the dead. So you go off because this chap's not quite dead, and you think you're going to raise him. The only thing you raise is your stupidity. You come out of there and you say, well, I don't know, Lord, you said it in your word, why didn't it work? I'm not going to do that again. But you see, God has laid down principles. And what I'm doing is taking the word of God, but I'm not applying the principles of God um, from the whole of the volume of the book. I'm just taking one thing, you see. David knew that the presence of God was on the ark, but what David ignored was the way of bringing that presence back into the midst of the people. He knew the principle that God dwelt between the cherubim. That's true. And it's true that these signs shall follow them that believe. But you see, there's a condition on the signs following those that believe, and that is I must walk according to his will. My walk is important for that word to be fulfilled. If I don't walk according to his law and commandments, then I'll go out and I'll take that word, but it won't work. You understand what I'm saying? And this is why so many people get mixed up. Just keep your thumb in, um, or finger, or whatever you put in, and go to John's Gospel, chapter 15. I think it is. John, yeah.
says this in verse 14 and 15, You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. All right? Whatsoever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. But look back, and verse 14 says, you are my friends if. If what? Ah, you see. Well, I asked God to do it and he didn't, and you get a bit peeved. Well, the reason is because you asked, but you weren't fulfilling the first part. You only become his friend when you keep his commandments. You're his enemy if you won't. Do you see, my walk daily is important. I've got to know what God's principles are. You understand that? All right, now David got angry and he was displeased with the Lord. We're back in uh, chapter 6 of 2 Samuel. And um, David was afraid of the Lord that day in verse 9 and said, how shall the ark of the Lord come to me? David says, well, I don't know. How's it going to happen? Now, where was the answer? Hmm? In the scripture. Now, if David had taken the trouble to say, now, how does God say it'll happen? How should I do it God's way? Then there'd have been no problem. But David decided he was going to do it his way and the way it had been done by the Philistines. And so off he went and he tried to do it that way and bang. Finished. You understand what I'm saying? And he didn't ever bother to go to the scriptures. And it says in, but he learnt later, it says in Psalm 138, you look there. Psalm says this, I will praise thee with my whole heart before the gods will I sing praise unto thee. I will worship thee towards thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. What's he done? Magnified above all thy name. In other words, the most important thing is God's word. He's magnified his word above his name. How about that? Now you see, it's revealed, God's will is revealed in the scriptures and in his word, in the Bible. That's why we have the book. In the law and the prophets it's revealed. In the scriptures it's revealed what I should and shouldn't do, how I should and shouldn't live, should and should not live. 
Everything's revealed in the scriptures. Now I'd better search them out and find out God's way. I want God's glory in the midst of the church, don't you? Hmm? But one thing I know, if I violate God's principles of bringing that glory back and try a shortcut or try a method that's not God's method, like having people jump up and pretend they're healed when they're not healed to prompt other people into faith, I'm going to be in problems, aren't I? Hmm? You see, I want to know what God's methods are and I want to know what God's word says. Don't you? I want to get hold of God's method of doing something because I know like electricity is harnessed and when I turn that light on, that bulb will light. Why? Because there's a principle behind it and that principle always works. I know that if I walk according to God's commandments then I can ask Father whatsoever I will and he'll do it. I know it. That's a principle. But I know that I've got to fulfill the first thing for the second thing to work. I know that if those wires don't have electricity running through them, I can turn the switch on and off and nothing will happen. I know that God says I must walk in his ways according to his will. Now I know that if I do that, all the blessings accrue. But I have to do the first part and then the second part automatically operates. All right? Now, what I need to know is what the principles are. Don't I? I mean, if I've got to walk according to God's commandments, it is mighty impossible for me to do it if I don't know what his commandments are. Hmm? You'd agree with that? You see, there's the moral law, that's God's law. There's Moses' law. And then there's the law of Christ. And then there's the law of the Spirit. And then there's his commandments. And then there's the Judaic law. And then there's the Pharisaical law. Now which law do I follow? God's law. Don't I? Now you see, we, we have to study the law to see which ones of which and how they divide which ones from which because obviously I, I mean I'm a Christian I don't need circumcision very glad about that um, I don't need to uh, abstain from pork I like bacon I knew someone you know who, who abstained from pork would never eat pork and he once went out to, he felt you know because it's said in the scriptures and he, he went out one day to dinner and the people served pork didn't know him very well, served pork. And he knew the scriptures that you should eat all, everything that's set before you, otherwise you'll offend your brother. But he also believed he shouldn't eat pork. So he was in a dilemma. In the end, he ate the pork because he felt that he shouldn't offend his brother at meat. And he was ill for three weeks afterwards. So he didn't eat in faith. Whatsoever is not a faith, sin. So God made him ill for three weeks. How about that? If he'd, if he'd been taught correctly, he wouldn't have had any problem. 
I know someone else who wouldn't eat pork. Just refused to eat it, even when it was set before him. And I went to stay there one day and discovered that every morning for breakfast he had bacon and eggs. <laughs> he didn't realise. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. And tell you the fellow's name. Staffed as a toothbrush. <laughs> Strain at gnats and swallow camels. But there we are. Um, when you've been around for 18 years, 20 years, and you've met all sorts of people, it's good. You get all these useless bits of information, you know, um, you pick up along the way. And you can think on them. When you think, people are so ridiculous, aren't they? Really? They get hold of funny ideas? Really funny ideas. And you can't figure out how they get hold of these funny ideas. But that's people, you see. You've got to live with them, haven't you? Anyway, there he is, dead. And David was afraid, and he says, how am I going to do it? And when David said, how am I going to do it? He didn't repent and then try and seek God's way. And this is something that we've got to be careful of. When God deals with you and chastens you, it says in Hebrews, you remember in Hebrews 12, I think it is, Hebrews 12 where it says, um, my son, despise not the chastenings of the Lord. Now what are you not to do? Despise them. In other words, be very careful when God deals with you and you know you've stepped out of line, don't you pout your bottom lip at God and say, hmm, not going to do it again. Um, repent and find out what principle you violated. Sorry, Lord, I know that I've violated your principles because if I was walking according to your life, uh, this wouldn't have happened. I, I warn you that there are always... When things happen in your life, it is because you are violating a principle of God. When I'm talking to Christians now. When something happens, nothing happens by chance to you. So if God puts his hand upon you, know this, that there is some principle that you're violating. And God's chastening hand comes upon you because he wants to deal with you and teach you. Now, don't get all condemned and don't get all sorry for yourself and full of self-pity. Get down on your face before God and say, all right, Lord, I'm sorry. Now, what have I done? I know people who have... Uh, are under the chastening hand of God and circumstances in your life uh, are affecting you and what you've got to find out is where you're violating God's principles. That's where the whole question lies. Now with David, there was user dead. Now what had David done that was against God's principles that caused it? His intention was right. The purpose of bringing God's presence back to the people was right. Now, what's gone wrong? 
Now you might want the glory of God in your life, you want Jesus Christ to be Lord of your life and Lord of your heart, and then you find your circumstances in your life go dead against you. Right somewhere you are violating God's principle. God's chastening hand comes on you, there's something wrong. Now you can try every other method you like of getting out of God's dealing. I want to tell you that there is no way, if God starts to chasten you, there is no escape, my friend. Take it from someone who's tried every escape hatch and found that when you open them, you only find that God drops you into the same situation. There is no escape from God. All right? So when he's chastening hands on you, the best thing to do is stop your moaning and self-pity and stop getting all grumpy at God. Get down on your face and get grumpy with yourself. Say, all right, Lord, I've sinned. Now, what's wrong? Now, you have the advantage that you've got people in the, in the church who, who've got more experience and go and talk with someone who knows God. And they'll tell you where you've gone wrong. And always when you find that there are situations in your life that make you, uh, put you in a real problem, it is because there's violation of God's principles. If you obey his commandments, he'll cause you to prosper. If you're not prospering, you're violating his principles. And you've got to realize that. And you see, God has certain principles and laws, and that's it. And you've got to make sure that you obey them. You understand that? Always, God's principles are the things that count. People lose their jobs. A lot of the reason they lose their jobs is because they've violated God's principles. Now, they might not have violated God's principle in the job. might have been in their home. It might have been in finance. It might have been in this. It might have been in that. They think, why did that happen? I don't know why it happened. But I usually find if I sit down with them for 20 minutes or 30 minutes and go through things in their life, I'll find they're violating God's principles. The fruit of it's here. The source of it's there. But always, if something goes wrong and it's the chastening hand of God and you're a Christian, then God's trying to say something to you and you won't listen. For instance, I think many of you know, Carolyn took her head dive down the stairs. And that's not a sensible thing to do. In fact, it's rather a remarkably silly thing to do, unless you're Irish, uh, which Carolyn is. And um, it's an Irishman's way of going down the stairs. That's why she's not so clever. But um, she went down the stairs, bang. But one of the reasons she went down the stairs, bang, is because she decided that she'd got a son called Benjamin and she was going to spend time with Benjamin and she'd got to devote her time to Benjamin. She wouldn't devote her time to God and God said, so you won't, okay. And he tipped one of his angels off just to whip her feet from under at the top of the stairs. 
says, now you'll spend time with me. And you say, oh, wow, God did that, yeah. That's love. You go and see her and she's got a neck in her collar and she's lying flat on her back and can't look after Benjamin. And you think, well, I don't know. But why did God do it? It didn't happen by accident. Accidents don't happen to Christians. It says he's given his angels charge over you lest you dash your foot against a stone. I only use Carolina as an illustration because I know she wouldn't mind. She's mature enough. <laughs> Should have go to sleep. <laughs> thing is, if you know something's going, have the sense and the wisdom to get up and swap <laughs> to another chair. Yeah. So you've got to learn discretion. Um, but the, the, the thing is that, you see, Carolyn learned to lesson. Downstairs she went. <laughs> Over the chair he went. Good to have illustrations, isn't it? <laughs> uh, the, the th <laughs> People who listen to the tape will wonder what on earth they are. The the thing is, <laughs> thing is, uh, if you can regain your composure. Carolyn went down the stairs head first because uh, God wanted to teach her a lesson. Now that doesn't mean that Carolyn's any worse than anyone else because you see God chastens those who mature enough that can take his chastening hand. Children he lets away with things but as they grow up God wants to bring his chastening hand and, and restraining hand and you see um, I don't say it to make you afraid, I'm just saying that if you resist what God wants to do, then he, he'll get you to do it. But it might be a bit painful on the way. Now, it's smarter to listen to what he says. I've found very often when I'm too busy and keep going and I'm determined to get things done and God wants to speak to me, I find myself flat on my back ill. Now I try with my determination to get up and carry on and then Albert comes round and laughs, you know, <laughs> in his usual charitable fashion and says, I've got to stay in bed. Uh, now I know there's a certain point where God wants to speak to me, but if I'm not prepared to sit down and take the time, then he'll sit me down. All right? It's a lesson we all need to learn. <laughs> 